Please remain standing and pray with me. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we are your people, that you have created, reconciled, and restored all things through Christ so that we could be yours together again. Father, as we come to the preaching of your word, I am your servant, a tool that unless you pick me up and use me, there's no life in me. So I ask you, God, use me today. May your spirit fill my mind and my words. And may your word that goes forth find lodging in our hearts so that we may become more and more and more like Jesus. And we ask this all in your most holy name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As you know, we are looking at the Acts of the Apostles. And about two or so weeks ago, when Father Benji told me that my portion would be this portion, Acts chapter 4 and part of chapter 5, looking at Ananias and Sapphira, I have to be honest, my first thought was going to be, you lie, you fry. (laughs) But it didn't quite fit with the theme that Father Benji started, so... We, 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 we put that on the back burner for another day. That's a good Lent sermon. Get real penitential. But I, it's about being together. Together. Simple word, complex to live out. And there was a priest from New Hampshire. Never been there. Don't care to go. He went to Georgia for a conference. And after he recovered from how sweet the tea was, at breakfast in the morning, he got very curious about this certain item on the menu, which he had never seen his entire life. And when the waitress came around, he asked her very politely, Ma'am, what is a grit? Because I see here you have grit. So what is a grit? And the waitress, typical southern Georgia, oh, honey, they don't come by themselves. And that's us as a church. We don't come by ourselves. By grace, we have been incorporated into a wonderful community called Christ's body. In our baptism, that total immersion into the life of God. And through our togetherness, we become grits. Because we are of the Southern Orthodox persuasion. So, of course, it's going to be grits. But it's a clever acronym. I'm pretty proud I was able to use that word, by the way. Acronym. It's godly revelations in today's society. Godly revelations in today's society. And that's what the Acts of the Apostles is. 
If they were all from the south, it would be called grits. This is the volume of grits. Godly revelation in today's society. Because being together is so crucial in this because part of our being made in God's image is that us factor. When God created Adam and Eve, he did not say, let me make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image. And that us is so crucial in the heart of God and how his kingdom evolves in this world. It's relationships, serving, sharing, building up, forgiving, aggravating, disappointing, joys, sorrows, confessing. All of this together. That's God's heart. And the issue is, just like Adam and Eve, we kind of run from that sense of community and hide from it. Their first action after the fall in the garden, they're the first community of God's people, and they're off hiding. We like to keep things at a distance. And somehow we look at the church and we kind of prefer the membership idea versus community together idea. What is the membership idea? I pay my dues, I use it when I want, and then I'm done. And I feel good about myself because I went to the gym once a week. That's the membership idea. The community idea is a lot more intensive. It requires work and struggle and strain. Those of us that have been married more than 30 minutes know it's a lot of work to be together. And like our first parents, we run from community because we struggle with conflicting desires. We think we know what we want. We think we need we know we, we, what we need, and we struggle with those desires. We struggle with being suspicious of other people's motives. Why is he being nice to me? And we struggle with the perception of past hurts. And the result is we insulate ourselves. And there's a great commentary about society insulating themselves. And I highly recommend this to everybody. You're going to need to write this down. It's Pink Floyd, The Wall. The whole album is about that young man from childhood to adulthood building the wall around himself from his hurts and aggravations and frustrations till you end up with him sitting in a scrubby flat, because they are British, sitting, not even willing to answer the phone. And you know the famous line, all in all, you are just another brick in the wall. Isolation builds insurmountable walls. That's not God's plan. And our text today in Acts 4 and 5 shows us God's idea of us being together, living life together in the body of Christ. And the result, we become those good old grits smothered in butter, revealing God in today's society. One of Luke's goals in the book of Acts is to realize that we need to be free of things and firm in loving. 
And we see it very clearly today that the result of this is whether it's material, emotional, or spiritual, those things only have value as a means of loving people. Nothing we have, nothing we aspire to, or nothing we do is the end. It's a means to love people. Because I've, had, I've known people, they've had everything they wanted. And they're miserable. Because that's not the end. That's the means of how we love people. And today we see in our text this community of people revolutionized by Jesus' love and their love for them. And the question is, how can we become this community that reveals God in our society today? And like most things in Scripture, it comes by choice, by choosing. God told Moses a long time ago, choose blessing or cursing. He leaves it up to us. So what's the first thing we should choose if we're going to be this revelation of God in society? Well, it's simple. Community over isolation. In Acts 4.32, those who believed were of one heart and one soul or one mind. Anything that divided them in the past faded away after Christ and the Holy Spirit came into their lives. They believed, their faith was unified, their heart, their emotions was unified, their mind, their will was unified. Faith brought them together and now their desire was to follow Jesus and express his love in, to everyone they met. And Jesus was that unifying factor. I was thinking back on the church uh, that Shelley and I uh, planted and served in London for several years. And I was sitting there thinking we didn't even realize how amazing it was at that time. At least I didn't. That in that small congregation, there were East Africans, West Africans, South Africans, Southeast Asians, Europeans, and me. Right, who was the oddball? Me. <laughs> but we were all together. We, we, we didn't see all the differences that were evident. At least I didn't. Because Jesus brought us together. It's Jesus that unites us. It's Jesus that brings us to this awesome, huge, wonderful family. It's interesting to note that the word brother occurs over 200 times Starting in the books of, book of Acts onward. Not before, but in the book of Acts onward. Over 200 times. Because they had the mindset they were all one. Nothing was counted as their own. Because if you think about it, we are only the originator of one thing. Any guesses? Sin. That's our claim to fame. And if we want to have this type of life, we have to value community over isolation. These guys, you can get the sense they wanted to be together. They wanted to connect together. And God's plan has always been together. 
If you look in Genesis with Adam and Eve, what was God doing? In my translation, hanging out. That's what he wants. That's his heart, hanging out. We didn't want to hang out with him, so what does he do on Christmas? He says, I'm coming to hang out with you. Whether you like it or not, I'm invading your space. He wants to be together with us. And he wants us to be together. And this beautiful picture that Christ gives us in the Gospels, he told the disciples, you are a city set on a hill. If you think about a city, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of different things happening. Think about Winston-Salem. A lot of stuff going on with one goal, to be the city of Winston-Salem. We have one goal all together, to be the body of Christ in the world, to live and to be noticed and to show the world that our life together is God's kingdom. Because where are they going to experience it? In our life together. Because we are the tangible manifestation of the kingdom of God. That's why we have to choose community over isolation. And you are where you are, as Father Bidji has reminded us several times, and I told him I was upset with him about that, because I've been trying vast ways to change my situation, and God keeps saying, nada, nope. But you are where you are, for kingdom purposes. In, your, in this church building, when you go get your coffee, when you're at a cookout with friends, when you're in your workplace, when you're at school, when you're on vacation, when you're grocery shopping, when you're hanging out with family. And for me, I especially feel that manifestation on the golf course. God's game. These guys today, when they realized what God was calling them to do, do you notice they did not all go join the monastery? Because they didn't have one yet. But they lived out Jesus' love among the unlovable places of the world. That's what they were doing. And if you have ever read any amount of church history or church historians, there is one thing that impressed the pagan world about this small, fledgling group of people. It wasn't their elaborateness. It wasn't their high educations. It wasn't their cathedrals with gold ceilings. You know what it was? Over and over again, you hear these pagan people writing, these guys love each other, tangibly. Not just a word of mouth, not just a pat on, hey, if I've been to I love you, bye. No, tangible. They were, to borrow lines from Henry V, we few, we happy, we band of brothers. And guess what, folks? That bond is eternal. Not a lot of things on this earth are eternal. But our togetherness is eternal. So you stuck with me for a long time. <laughs> and everybody goes, oh, Lord. 
What's the second thing we have to choose? First, community over isolation. I'll pronounce it eventually. Ministry over selfishness. Verse 33 says, The apostles were giving great witness, and great grace was upon them all. Man, it's cool to be these guys. Guess what? We are these guys. Their whole goal was to preach the gospel, to make Jesus the present reality of their life. For that's what the word witness means. One who remembers. One who makes a past event the present reality. And they had this unity in ministry and gave them this great sense of purpose. We're changing the world for Jesus. They had this great sense of I'm part of something bigger than me and my present circumstances. And that's what life's about. Not basking in my personal opulence. As great as it is, that's not my goal. But it is the joy of being part of Christ's body on this earth. Because we, as the church, as Christ's body, have the most important job in the world. The Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Go down the street. Go across the road. Go to your office place. Go to those family members. Go. And what we have to realize is this great difference between our occupation and our vocation. What's the difference? Well, they're spelled differently for one. (laughs) But the occupation is what we're doing now. Occupations can change. You evolve, you grow, you mature, you do something different. Occupations can change. The vocation is not what we're doing now, but what we're doing with our life. It's the goal. It's the overarching thing that does not change. It's the reason why we're here. And what we have to realize is that whatever occupation we may find ourselves in at the moment is a means of fulfilling this great vocation to serve the world, Jesus' love. And the bulk of this work is not from behind this pulpit. I know you didn't want to hear that. You wanted it all to rest on me and Father Benji. But it don't. But where does it happen? In the trenches of ordinary life. In the mundane and humdum, as I said earlier, and I meant to say humdrum, Came out humdum, and then I thought, well, there is a lot of humdum stuff, too. So humdum and humdrum, stuff we go through in life. That was for Thomas over there, made his day. I think he might give me a free haircut. What? But it's in the ordinary stuff of life. One writer that has influenced me greatly because we have so much in common, even though he's French, and I am definitely not French, Um, But Brother Lawrence, he wrote a book, little book, called Practicing the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence was a young man, military guy, pretty successful, slightly affluent family. God started tugging on his heart. 
He did what everyone does when God started tugging on their hearts in the Middle Ages in France. Join the monastery. Have these grand dreams of becoming super saint. And he was quite disappointed when they assigned him kitchen duty. How can I be a saint in the kitchen, he thought. And God dealt with him and showed him no matter what he's doing or where he's at, it's for God. And this is where this ministry happens, in the ordinary things of life. And he wrote this prayer that means a lot to me, and I would like to share it with you. He says, Lord of all pans and things, since I have no time to be a great saint by doing lovely things, or watching late with thee, or dreaming in the dawn light, or storming heaven's gates, make me a saint by getting meals and washing up the plates. Warm all the kitchen with thy love and light and peace. Forgive me all my worry and make my grumbling cease. Thou who didst love to give men food in room or by the sea, accept the service I do. I do it unto thee. That's the ministry that changes the world. And he also went on to say later on in the book that it is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn my little omelet over in the pan for the love of God. That's a heart of ministry, not selfish, that will change the world. And I'll tell you, every time God will always bring something that challenges me on every sermon that I have to preach. I guess if I don't live it, I can't tell you. It makes sense to me. And it happened this week, I was in the, where I work, uh, making 40 pounds of manually mashed potatoes, manually. Have you ever seen a manual potato masher for 40 pounds of potatoes? I can kill somebody with it. And I was sitting in that 100-year-old kitchen, and it was so humid, I thought I was in a Swedish sauna looking for the rocks to pour water on to make more steam. It was so hot. And it struck me. God said, you can be selfish or ministry-minded. I said, yeah, you're right. I could be selfish with the attitude I'm stuck here cutting potatoes in a 100-degree kitchen with 100% humidity in a 100-year-old building and feel sorry for myself. Or I could say with the ministry mind, I get to make mashed potatoes for the love of Christ. Because God wants us to realize, and Jesus shared this startling revelation, that the greatest position in his kingdom is servant. In the upper room, he just shared the Lord's Supper with them and he, in, in Luke 22, and immediately there was a dispute among themselves of who would be the greatest. Did they not just see anything Jesus did? And I could hear them in there, John saying, he loves me more than all of you. Peter goes, whoa, I'm his right-hand man. I must be the greatest. Andrew probably stood up and said, but I've been with him the longest. I brought you to him, remember? 
And James says, but me and my brother, he calls us the sons of thunder, so we must be the greatest. And Jesus stands among them and says, guys, you got it all wrong. I am among you as the one who serves. I am among you as the one who serves. That's my kingdom. And a servant doesn't mean you're going to let people walk all over you. You're not a yes man or woman. But it means you are other-minded. I'm concerned about the other. I want to see the other succeed, excel. That's what servant is. And we must be ready at all times, whatever God calls us and wants us to do. There's another prayer that I find myself praying almost every day. And it goes like this. And it gives us the heart of a servant. This is another day, O Lord. I know not what it will bring forth. But make me ready, Lord, for whatever it may be. If I am to stand up, help me stand bravely. If I am to sit still, help me sit quietly. If I am to lay low, help me do it patiently. For if I am to do nothing, help me do it gallantly. Make these words more than words and give me the spirit of Jesus. Service. Ministry over selfishness. The last thing we have to choose if we want to be this community of godly revelation in today's society is people over possessions. The rest of the passage we read today basically says they shared everything they had together and no one lacked. They had material unity. They valued people over possessions. You see Barnabas giving because he loved those people. He wanted to see their life changed. Then you have Ananias and Sapphira. You lie, you fry people. <laughs> they gave not wholeheartedly. They kept something back. And that's the same word we get embezzled from. They were doing something shady, dishonest, under the table. Because they were giving for the honor of themselves. And giving for the sake of status. They didn't care about the people that they were giving to. They didn't value people. The people are what's important. Possessions are only a means of loving and serving people. There's no greater joy than being able to bless someone with something material or time or encouragement. And like I said, uh, the Lord has confirmed in the past two weeks, he has me where I am for his purpose. Out of the blue. Former kitchen guy texted me and says, hey, I'm playing golf with my son for his graduation. I'm using the bags you gave me, the clubs you gave me, the shoes you gave me. Why could you not give me golf skills to go with it? I said, well, I'm happy you're getting to abuse everything I gave you. But it meant so much to him. He just said it meant so much. Another guy who was 
kind of rough around the edges when he first got there, and we developed quite the relationship. He texted me. He's now out, got a job. He's, he's living right, doing well. And he said, I want you to know, I would have quit a long time ago and returned to my mess if you had not come into my life. And yet another one. This is not me. I mean, I know me. It's God. He calls me. He says, thank you for being a part of my life, even though I'm out of the program. And I'm helping him learn the guitar a little better and even play golf and just be an accountability friend to him. People are more important than even our spare time, our possessions. They're more important. Nothing really is our own. It didn't originate from us. What makes us, us, came from God. And what do we actually take into eternity? Our acts of giving of our time, of our talent, and of our treasure. There may be many things that we aspire to do which we may or may not do, even though we have the desire. But there is one thing we can all do within our power, and that is to give, to share, to carry, someone else's load as well. For if we are going to be godly revelations in today's society, we have to choose community over isolation, ministry over selfishness, people over possessions. God uses us to advance his purpose by being together. It's just that simple. And I close with this story, which so wonderfully demonstrates. It's about the Special Olympics several years ago. There were nine contestants, all physically and mentally challenged, and they assembled at the starting line for the 100-yard dash. All the contestants, you could tell, were excited to run that dash, not exactly super fast, but with all the excitement in the world. The gun goes off, they start, except one little guy. He trips, rolls over a couple of times, scrapes his knee and begins to cry. The other eight who were running ahead heard him cry and almost in unison slowed down, turned around and went back. One little girl, sweet as she could be, knelt down kissed his knee and said, this will make it better. They all interlocked arms and walked together to the finish line. The cheers erupted from the stadium for minute after minute after minute. And people who were there remember it to this day. That's how I found it. Somebody remembered it. Because deep down inside, we know this. What matters in this life is more than winning for ourselves. What truly matters is helping, loving, 
and serving together. Just like those guys, they crossed the finish line together. We cross the finish line together. We do the work of God together. That's why it's so important for us to see us as one. With that said, let's all be good grits. Because we are of the Southern Orthodox persuasion, and why else would we not want to be grits? Godly revelations in today's society. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.